Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of In the Guide of Geekdom. I'm Janice Hawkins. And I'm Deanna Chapman. And this is a show where we watch an episode of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and a different piece of media along with it and talk about them. What did we see since the last time we talked? We watched episode five of Keep Your Hands Off Azoken and Pat Labor, the movie. Yeah. And what did I ask you to pay attention to, Deanna, when watching Pat Labor? Robots. We love robots. Mm-hmm. And the whole sort of realistic and practical design versus sort of the fantastical, if you will. Yeah. And uh, listeners to the podcast can remember that we watched a couple episodes ago Promare, which had some big robots too. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, or if you haven't watched that movie yet, I highly recommend doing that just for funsies. But also warning for your eyes. Yeah, this, yeah, a major flashy bright colors and beautiful animation warning. See, that's why I picked Pat Labor for you this time, so that you could kind of mellow out. It worked. <laughs> well, we'll get more on that later, <laughs> but I can't wait to hear your five words about the movie. Um, what happened in the episode of Ezoken that we watched, an iron giant appears. So as soon as I saw that title, I was like, okay, I know what we're getting into here. And we see the anime club team up with the robot club, which I've always been fascinated by robot clubs. Yeah? Because I went to a very nerdy high school, Janice. Oh, I didn't know this. And, and like, there were all these kids into engineering, and they just would build things and I'm like what are these people doing (laughs) Mm -hmm. did your school have a robotics class I don't actually know because I was in the tech program and so we had a bunch of like classes that high schools don't usually have Mm -hmm. so like I took a computer logics and algorithms class and a fundamentals of programming class and something else high school was so long ago at this point (laughs) (laughs) I can barely remember last week let alone what what some of the extra classes I had to take were yeah you barely remember this movie let alone what you learned in high school yeah they just had really nerdy classes for the tech kids and you could kind of like pick which ones you wanted to take they had robots and you were like what are wire that's so cool well i remember like around that same time there was some show that was pretty popular that i don't remember the name of but they would like battle robots oh battle bots (laughs) oh (laughs) that's the name i should have remembered with grant ishihara from mythbusters and all those people yeah anyway this felt like that (laughs) that's cool that's awesome. So they actually made robots like that. Like this episode was just people I went to high school with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. So the girls, they meet, the worlds collide. They meet the robot club. Right. And kind of go to war with their ideas. Mm-hmm. The robot club is asking the girls to make an anime about their actual robot that they have. So then that's what starts the clashing that you're talking about. Tell me about the clashing. I think in every other episode, we've seen like their imagination come to life on the screen. So we get Mm -hmm. more of that in this. And it's both groups kind of doing it at the same time. And one is just so adamant about how things need to be for robots. Because when you think about it, like it is engineering, which is science. It's not like, Mm -hmm. A fantastical thing. It needs yeah. to be a tangible thing that you can actually make, 
which cuts out a lot of, I think, the ideas that the girls have because they think so big. Yeah, and, like, it's funny because that is absolutely true. And then on the converse other hand, like, the girls are also, like, they're dreaming big, but they're being relatively realistic about it because the the robot club will be like, it needs to be able to go 70 meters per hour or kilometers per hour. And they'll go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why not just have something with wheels? And they're like, no, it has to like run on its two legs and be a robot. And they're like, okay, but like, (laughs) why? And so (laughs) like the one kid, Ono, who's on the robot club is arguing with them about how their ideas are too practical. But then he's also talking about how they're not practical enough because he wants that humanoid, quote unquote, realistic fantasy dream. Yeah, I'm. So surprised that this guy doesn't actually know what he wants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What does anyone know what they want ever? Don't ask me. I think for me, my favorite moment in this interaction, they meet up, they argue, they get mad, they break away, they do, they go on a different adventure for a little while, mm-hmm. and then they come back and regroup. Okay, hold on. I do want to talk about the location scouting. <laughs> oh, please talk about the location <laughs> because... scouting. This was so hilarious because you have Asakusa just like in survivalist mode. Uh-huh. And, <laughs> and she's I was terrified. Like, this would be Janice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I was smart enough to plan ahead for something like that, I wouldn't go down that in the first place. But yeah. I know when she was like behind everyone else, it was just <laughs> like, I was like, this is Janice. Okay. And then Mizusaki was like, all into the light up shoes yeah and it was just the whole sequence was so funny and then they fall through the floor and like land on giant piles of leaves Mm -hmm. i will say now that you've pointed out that like call out that as a person who just five minutes ago was describing to you the fact that i bring my own band-aids with me places in my backpack in case i need them uh i also in my car carry like a tent a blanket some bottles of water a jump start kit i have um like hand warmers i have a shovel i have a mag light in my car in case i need any of them and I would be the person who, like, when you're walking across a floor that seems kind of rotted, would be like, we need to walk against the walls, guys. It's going to break through. Because <laughs> that is where my mind would immediately go. Yeah, that was all I could think about that entire sequence. I was like, this tracks. <laughs> this is the neuroticism of Janice <laughs> happening right now. Yeah, I would I, I would just be like, okay, yeah, we can go. Let's go. It's fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Yeah, that's so funny. She's. I definitely relate to her there. That's the time in the episode that I got called out. yeah i got called out later okay so later they do they reconvene with the club and now that everyone's had some space apart they're ready to try again and my favorite point in this episode is when they all suddenly realize like it dawns on them what it is that like about the fantasy anime aspect that they like. And so Asakus is like, I understand, she's like crying and she's like, I want to travel to the fringes of space and every night I cry because I can't do it. And then Mizusaki's like, I do a Haruken every night before bed. And then Ono's like, I like to imagine I'm in the cockpit when I'm on a toilet. And they're just like, we're all comrades now. Love that. I took a picture of the show right after that. Yeah. When Kanamori's like, I have huge problems with people who solve problems with emotional appeals. <laughs> oh my god. So that's the bit that you related to. And I was like, yeah, I feel that. 
So I'm in the moment before and you're in that moment right after. Yeah. Amazing. It was great. Great episode. Yeah, it's good. I've been called out in every single one. There was one you were like, I don't think you'll be called out in this one. And I was like, Janice, yes, I will. <laughs> There's going to be yeah. something. Oh, so good. So eventually, do they do it? Do they make a robot that is going to make sense? They do start working together and figure it out. Teamwork makes the dream work, Janice. Teamwork makes the dream work. They get a cute little Says robot. a person who sits in a room by herself and works all day. <laughs> yeah, for and with people. You're basically in communications, right? Like, Not really. It depends. You're communicating with me right now. Yeah, but I don't count this as work. <laughs> okay. So after the teamwork makes the dream work, we watched a different thing with more robots, and that is Pat Labor. And more teamwork. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Pat Labor. I'll uh, talk a little bit about what that, just the everything that went into it and all the teamwork that made it happen. It's really interesting because... The Pat Labor movie and then also the like TV shows and OVAs that or were done uh, were all done by this artist group, like collective known as Headgear, consisting of it's got like five normal members in it. And they are Masami Yuki, who is a manga artist and created the Pat Labor manga. Yutaka Izubuchi is an anime designer, screenwriter and director who primarily designs mecha and monsters and did the mechas for Pat Labor. Akimi Takata is a manga artist who did the character designs for Pat Labor. Kazunori Ito is a screenwriter who did the screenwriting for the Pat Labor movies, as well as the Dot Hack Sign series and movies, and uh, Ghost in the Shell, which I will talk a little bit more about because the fifth member of Headgear is the director of this movie, Mamoru Oshii. And uh, he did the Pat Labor OVA, Pat Labor movies one and two, and also did a couple other movies, most notably Ghost in the Shell. Have you heard of Ghost in the Shell, Deanna? Was there a live action version of that? Yes. Scarlett Johansson was in it. Okay. That's the version of it. I know I have not seen anything about it. I haven't seen that movie either. I just know there was like a whole thing about her being the lead in it yeah there's discourse around that for sure shocking yeah discourse around scarlett johansson being in a movie weird wild ghost in the shell was an interesting piece of work that you might like you should probably check out one day if nothing else for your broadening of your horizons it's not as uh slow paced as this one is and it inspired a lot of people like james cameron really liked it and like used things from it for Avatar, and Wachowskis love Ghost in the Shell and did a lot of things in The Matrix based off of Ghost in the Shell. Okay, I kind of want to rewatch The Matrix movie soon so I can watch the new one. I think I've only mm -hmm. seen the first one. I think I've only seen part of the first one. I'm not super sure on that, but maybe I should watch that before I do The Matrix stuff. Yeah, that would be a fun way to do it. If I don't forget to do that. If you don't forget. I also started rewatching The Matrix because I want to see the new one. And I watched the first one a billion times as a kid. So I was like, yeah, this is, I love this. And then I started watching the second one. I was like, I don't think I've seen this movie. <laughs> it's like with you and Men in Black, too. Yeah. We have Men in Black, too. I don't know where one is, if it ever existed, but we have two on DVD. And I don't know why. That drives me crazy. I know. We it must does. have had it's the so first funny. one on VHS then. I feel like. Yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, Janice, I keep wanting to call this place HeadGum because that's a podcast company. <laughs> oh, okay. That's funny. Um, 
Yeah, headgear. It's a very nerdy name. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's got the aesthetic that I think they're trying to get across yeah. that's with the pat labor. So also kind of in headgear, or like at least associated with them, the music is by Kenji Kawai, and he also did the music for Ghost in the Shell. He did... Have you ever seen Ip Man? I've seen that name before. Okay, incredible, incredible. I like martial arts movies a lot, and Ip Man is, like, so good. And then uh, Kenji also did the soundtracks to all of the Death Note live-action movies, which I really like the Death Note live-action movies, American and Japanese. Another thing I've heard of and know nothing about. I'd have to think about if you would like those. Don't think too hard about it right now. There's like a... Yeah, I won't think too hard about it right now. Just (laughs) note self to Janice. Would Deanna like Death Note? It's fun. It's not fun. It's very dark. So it sounds like I probably would like it. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Is... At least the first season of it. I don't like fun, Janice. Yeah. That's, That's not true. You like Ghibli stuff. <laughs> Ghibli stuff is fun. If you say so. Okay. I haven't seen enough of it to come to that conclusion. Fair. This was animated by Studio Dean. They do a ton of stuff. Could never list it all. It doesn't connect to anything we've talked about before. Uh, and the animation assistance was done by a studio now called Production IG, who did Ghost in the Shell. They did Haikyuu, which is a... They did a Star Wars, too. Volleyball anime. Yeah, and then they also did one of the Star Wars Visions episodes. That's like where my familiarity starts and ends for a lot of the production companies. It's just like, yeah. if you tell me what episode of Star Wars, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So they did the Ninth Jedi episode five, um, and it wasn't directed by... Oshi. It was directed by Kenji Kamiyama, uh, who worked on a different Pat Labor okay. TV thing, but has yep. also worked with all these people to do Pat Labor. Um, production IG, one thing I wanted to bring in just to tie every because everything is connected, is that uh, they also worked on Fully Cooly with Gainax, who ended up breaking off into having people do Studio Trigger, okay. which did things we've seen before. And then um, they also did animation for a short called Kick Heart, which Masaaki Yusua did, our Keep Your Hands Off Azoken director. So everything is connected. Everyone in the industry knows each other. It's like the Stephen King universe, but in real life. Yeah, the, the Japanese <laughs> animation cinematic universe. Yeah, okay. Janice, I think I got us a little off track earlier because <laughs> robots. So it's not that I disliked this movie. Mm-hmm. I think I was just too dumb for it this week. <laughs> this week. Okay, I like that you add the the stress on this week, because I think that you are definitely smart enough for this movie sometimes. Because I was watching it, and I was like, I have absolutely no clue what they are talking about right now. And because of that, it made the whole first like hour of the movie very confusing for me. I was like, I don't know, there's cops. Like, <laughs> that was the whole first hour of the movie. And then you have have one of the main characters, Asuma, is a wild person, first of all. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny to me that you think that he's wild (laughs) compared to some of the others. Isn't he the one that like takes Noah and like just like gets on the bike and just starts going very fast? Conversations and we're private. (laughs) Right. But then he gets suspended and then he just blows up. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yelling at his boss. One thing I did like was like the fisheye effect mm-hmm. that they had going on when those two were yelling at each other. That was like a thing I actually noticed. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe this is getting interesting now. But again, that happened, what, like an hour into the movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He was being reckless. 
Yeah, he's definitely very reckless. Um, he almost tanks his dad's company accidentally playing with also that software that he shouldn't be doing. It's funny that you bring up the fisheye scene because I didn't even think about it until you brought it up. Like, I thought, oh, that's cool whenever it happened. But like, it must be hard to draw that way. Well, this is from what, 89? Yes. So I don't know if the, they would have done like filter kind of things. Because like, oh, I know with yeah. animation now, the way that some of the technology works is like you kind of do your framing the way you would with a real camera, except it's a virtual camera. Mm -hmm. So I imagine at least now they have things like fisheye lens or, you know. They put a fisheye lens over it, yeah. Wide angle lens or, you know, whatever. So you just kind of pick what type of lens you're using, even though you're not actually using a lens. But I don't know if that existed in the 80s. Yeah, I don't know either. Or like, I'm sure because they still did like they would just like we learned in that first episode, they'd have a camera over like a box and like be doing those things. And so like, I wonder if you could apply a fisheye lens to that and still do. Or you just warp it, I guess, if they don't didn't have like the lens effects. Yeah. You would just like draw the image and then warp the image. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's a cool shot. It's a cool flex. It made me think. I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good looking out on that. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, so... Um, These are the things I nerd out about <laughs> for whatever reason. That's a great thing to nerd out about. Can't tell you what I happened think... in the whole first half of the movie other than those two things. That's so funny. Um, yeah, to just recap real quick what goes on in the movie. Tokyo is in the middle of a massive development project to reclaim the surrounding land by draining the bay and shutting out the sea. And they call it Project Babylon like the city of Babylon. It was taking them a lot longer than they thought to do it until some robotics and weapons companies developed these mechs that they call labors that are like humanoid shape, but a person can get in them and pilot them. And then they're like little like construction whatevers that you can use to dig and whatever, but makes you stronger and faster, increased production made everything go so much better. I don't know if they actually addressed this in the movie, but the whole concept behind these is the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Department has a fleet of patrol laborers, pat laborers, uh, meant to combat labor-related crimes and terrorism. So what you got? Why do cops not understand that having these things is ter a terrible idea? I don't know. Um, you could ask that of, I mean, we invented like a robot dog at Boston Dynamics that is just like a cute little robot dog. And now they're just going to strap huge guns on it and it's hard to disengage. And it's, I don't know. We love creating things that are too big for our britches and then being like, whoa, we probably shouldn't have put those everywhere. That should be it's too the USA's motto. I know. <laughs> too big for our britches. Too big for our britches. <laughs> yeah. It's a real shame that we have 5,000 pieces of media on this topic and still we have not learned our lesson. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. But movie opens with this guy, Eiji Hoba, developer of this new hyper operating system for the labors, Hoss. And he starts the movie by committing suicide by jumping off of this big thing called the Ark. And then they cut to a labor running berserk and the military have to take it down and they open it up and find that there's not a pilot in it. This was the weirdest cut in this movie. I was like, hold on, we're just gonna go wild here. <laughs> like that, that, that's, that's what you're doing. 
with this? This is like Oshi's directorial style. He likes to start with a very fast-paced, confusing scene to like pull you into the action and then immediately turn the speed down from like 100 to like 20 miles per hour. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then like take you on a very slow journey until the end where he ramps it back up again. But like that is like his formula for doing things a lot of the time. It didn't work. Yeah, it doesn't always work for people. Like I said, this was fine, but it just could not keep my attention when yeah. things weren't going crazy. Yeah. Especially if you're like a little sleepy or like you've got a phone nearby or you have to think about all the other things going on in life. Like it's it's a hard movie to lock yourself into unless you're like in a deprivation chamber. Yeah, it was all of the above. I was just like, I <laughs> don't know what's happening right now. Yeah, fair. And that's my fault. Now that you've seen it before, I wonder if you if you tried to watch it again for whatever reason, not in a saying that you have to at all. But I wonder if on a second watch, now that you kind of like know what's going on, if it would be more engaging. Or if I would just fall asleep. Or if you would just totally like <laughs> finally take a nap because it'd be the perfect recipe for it for you. Look, if I did not nap during Dune, I think it's just game over. Not I can't possible. do it. <laughs> I did start falling asleep during Dune. I keep bringing up Dune. I'm so sorry. My friends are going to murder me. <laughs> it's fine. Dune, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So our heroes of this movie are the second special vehicles section, SV2, um, and one of them is named Noah. So there's Noah and the Ark, and we've got, instead of a flood, we're trying to drain the waters of the city. Janice, so much of this just went straight over my head. Yeah, I'm, I understand. <laughs> Mostly because I didn't know the characters' names the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's great. I was like, okay, there's the captain. Yeah, Captain Goto. <laughs> He was the captain. He was just captain. (laughs) I love Captain Goto. He's so conniving. And then I was like, okay, there's the guy and there's the girl. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Her name is Noah. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. It's totally fine. So they're sent on this mission because they're pat laborers to figure out what's going on. The movie cuts back and forth between Captain Goto, who is my favorite, uh, getting Asuma, the guy that is, you've mentioned. He's the son of the CEO of the company that developed the Hoss. Goto's kind of tricking him into doing a lot of the investigation work for him by like motivating him in funny ways because he knows that Asuma Shinohara has access to Shinohara Heavy Industries information that he's not going to have. And then also it cuts to a detective, Detective Matsui, investigating the last locations that Ehoba, Jehovah, as he calls himself. So this Jehovah guy scientist basically thought himself a god and wanted to ruin the Babylon project slash Tokyo using the Ark and the labors to flood and destroy the city. Um, But the team was able to figure it all out two days before a typhoon hits. So they worked to save the city at the cost of potentially losing like their careers or lives. So the human spirit triumphing over consequences to try and save the day. Did you pick up on any themes or any? (laughs) No, it's (laughs) sorry. It's okay. I literally, like, was looking at the TV and was just, like, not processing most of what was happening. I was like, okay, there's an investigation. That's fine. That's great. He gets suspended. And then the guy's like, okay, but now you can do more investigating because you're suspended. And I was like, that doesn't really make any sense, but okay, we'll go with it. I get what you're saying. (laughs) I got you set loose on purpose so you don't have to work. You can just investigate. Which is work. 
But that's besides, this is like me having hobbies that are my work. Yeah. It's the same thing. Very familiar with this concept. (laughs) You're like permanently getting on a two-week suspension. (laughs) Every two weeks I I get suspended again. Yeah. (laughs) It's great. There's a lot of like old versus new, old new technology, old new people, old new styles that's really interesting. The day ends up getting saved by a girl with a gun rather than all this like fancy software and technology. Yeah. And like the whole tech is evil kind of thing too. Yeah. This guy made himself into like God in his own mind. Of course he And did. used it for the powers of evil. These are things men do. <laughs> all that, yeah, for real. All this like God, Jehovah, Bible, Ark, Babylon stuff like cracked me up because uh, I read a post somewhere that said like Japan treats the Bible and like Christianity like the United States treats samurai and ninjas. Oh, that's hilarious. I mean, it's. Maybe not hilarious, but... No, it's it, good. It's, it's pretty good. <laughs> Evangelion is very similar where there's like a bunch of crosses and angels and all this stuff. And then if you ask Hideki Anno, like, what does it all mean? He's like, oh, I just thought it looked cool. Yeah, I kind of love that because I'm just like, I don't care about any of these references. Yeah, yeah. So it could be deep, but it's also just fun to see them play with all of that and use the great Western canon <laughs> this way. So, Deanna, I have a new bit. Great. It's a little bit different from our other bits in that I've accidentally been doing this bit the whole time, and now I'm just fully accepting it. My bit is I forget everything, so... Yeah, I think that's a good bit. But it's not actually a bit, because I really do forget everything. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't mentioned our five listeners. Uh, I forgot to do that bit, so uh, attention five listeners, we love you. (laughs) Keep, Keep going. Not as good a bit. So, I am in the process of watching... Lupin the Third, the TV shows, and I'm also in the process of trying to watch all the movies that they have, and so everything that I see, you know, if you have a hammer, everything seems like a nail. So just like how the universe is sitting on top of a turtle, on top of a turtle, on top of a turtle, for me right now, it's Lupin's all the way down, and everything that we talk about is connected to Lupin somehow, so... Did you just make a John Green joke, too? Uh, John Green is not the person who invented Turtles <laughs> All the Way Down, but... <laughs> I just have the book on my shelf, and I was like, is that what that's from? John Green got it from something else. I think it's a Terry Pratchett thing. Okay. Because I think of Turtles, and then I think of Stephen King again. So it is just a vicious cycle over here. That's my bit. Everything is related to Stephen King. Stephen Hawking references it. Uh, And then I know it because Terry Pratchett mentions it in Discworld. So it's just like one of those old sayings that has been passed down forever. It's not quite a fable and it's not quite an idiom because it's like a story, but it's like an explanation for how the universe exists that people like to bring up. Like, this is what people used to believe, like Flat Earth. But you are correct in that John Green does reference it because he really likes the concept and the story. I haven't read the book, so I didn't know. I was just like, it's it's sitting there. Oh, before, I've not read the book either, but he was like talking about it in his Vlogbrother videos before he ever made that. Okay. Too. That makes sense. I did watch those back in the day. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you know this, Janice, but I might have a few books that I have not read. What? That's so wild can't believe that. It's not like it's four entire bookshelves full or anything. So in this episode of Keep Your Hands Off Aizoken, we get the Robot Club's history of the Robot Club, because they're like 100 years old, I guess, which is wild to me as a person who went to high school in California that anything could be 100 years old. But (laughs) they said that 
Their club's roots could be traced back to the late 1800s before people knew what robot was with a collection of individuals who studied French culture. And they were fascinated with this book called The Future Eve, which is a French book that became known for popularizing the word android. So that's where that's from. And then they say with the dawn of the 1900s, Japan created Asia's first robot, Gaku Tinsoku, <laughs> uh, which led to a shift in the group's focus into giant robots. I would highly recommend looking up Gaku Tensoku at some point because it's cool, but like the, its name means learning from the laws of nature, and it's like a robot type thing that they made uh, because they didn't like the idea of robots being treated as like slaves to humans. So they made this like cool robot that was friendly, and they're like, look, he's our friend. This looks creepy. Yeah, I mean, everything in the old days looks creepy. That's fair. And the like style was like kind of Oni masky too, so it's a little it's a little rough, but he's a friend. He's a friend. Yeah, if you say so. <laughs> yeah. So they shift to giant robots after that one, and then the robot club uh said that they based the first model of their robot from the 1952 movie The King and the Mockingbird, and they've continued to modify the robot ever since. Um The King and the Mockingbird is just an old French movie. I guess that's where they went from the French to robot transition, but it's like a really well-loved and well-accepted piece of animation from that time. And some of the people who like have said outright that it inspired them are Hayao Miyazaki and Isao Takahata, um, both who founded Studio Ghibli. But like Miyazaki loved it so much that the castle in The King and the Mockingbird, he basically took that design of that castle and used it in his first feature-length movie that he directed, Lupin the Third Castle of Cagliostro. <gasps> it's Lupin's. We're back to Lupin's. Okay. And then Lupin Part 2 for this. Well, not Part 2 because that's a Lupin thing. But the other Lupin thing is that in around 1984, Oshii, the director of Pat Labor, was hired to direct a Lupin the Third movie. And he came up with these wild eccentric ideas for including all this like Bible stuff and the Tower of Babel and all this weird Christianity, whatever stuff. And they had advertised too much that he was going to be involved with this project and they had done too much with him and they thought it was too weird. So they ended up just like canning the whole project and he didn't get to make this movie. And instead, years later, he comes out with like Angel's Egg, Ghost in the Shell, Pat Labor. And he just took plot elements from that original Lupin thing that he wanted to do that nobody could get on board with and put them into these other movies. So the Pat Labor movie originally would have had Lupin the Third and his gang, and that would have been just a ridiculously nonsensical. I think this ended up a lot better. And that's <laughs> how Lupin is in everything. Janice, you sent me a spreadsheet of all of the Lupin media. Oh, yeah. And... It was a lot. Uh-huh. I was like, Deanna, should I buy, like, sets where five of the movies are all on, like, one set for this amount of money? Or should I just buy them all individually so that I have the cool media of owning each individual DVD, like, as it came out? And you were like, do sets? Why would you take up all that, like, shelf space or something? And I was like, but I love taking up shelf space. Also, how are you one to talk? <laughs> <laughs> fair valid i listened to you i bought two box sets so i have 10 movies on two discs 
Okay, but here's the thing, Janice. Mm-hmm. Box sets are more convenient. For who? For what? Just in general, because they're all there. Yeah. Like, I would not have wanted to track down all of the Universal Monsters movies. Instead, I bought a box set, and I didn't have to think about it, and it has Creature from the Black Lagoon, Frankenstein, the mummy. That's fair. Whoever else is in it. Wolfman. I didn't have to go track down an entire yeah. list to find those movies. <laughs> well, someone was selling most of them in a package, so I'd only have to track down three, but... It's fine. It's fine. You made a whole spreadsheet, Janice. Don't tell me that. You had to look up all of that. Yeah. Well, because that was volume two of the TV. It's a long story. But if you, so I think of it like first edition book collecting. I don't know if that's something that you've ever like been interested in. No, absolutely not. That's too much work. If you had the ability to buy, it's like buying the, or like comic books. Okay. Comic books. You know how like some people get really into buying the first printing of the first issue of like comics versus some people are like, whatever, I just want to read it. So they'll buy the second or fifth or eighth printing or they'll buy like the omnibus. Uh-huh. I've done that because it's like a box set, Janice. Yeah. I was going to say you're the omnibus person and I'm the, I want every individual comic person. Well, less so with books because they're so heavy. But like I don't have to put the Blu-ray box set in my lap to consume the media. When you get a giant book you gotta hold it to read it uh-huh <laughs> it's a little inconvenient i say that as someone who literally ordered a giant book that i don't know how i'm gonna read because <laughs> i was like i want the deluxe edition and then mm-hmm. i was like i see why i don't normally do this you should get like a easel that has like a page holder so that you can read it in style that's too much work yeah fair let's compare these two pieces of media that we watched okay <laughs> Yeah, we should do that because this is about anime, not about me being weird. I mean, it is about me kind being of, weird a little kind bit. Kind of about it's both. About, <laughs> it's about both of us being weird. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so you already kind of said what you were met on about and the scenes that stuck out to you. Mm-hmm. You don't have. Do you have anything else on that? Mm-mm. So with regards to the homework that was assigned, uh, what do you think about, like, let's just look at the robot's just in pat labor at first okay what do you think about the designs of like the construction labors versus like the police and military ones well one's unnecessary one makes sense <laughs> yeah okay so you know using robots for construction great fantastic love that mm-hmm. whatever the cops are doing they don't need giant robots <laughs> they don't need giant robots like that yeah the construction ones are like cool because they're all like stocky and close to the ground and they have like digging tools yeah, and obviously the robots themselves are not the problems. It's the software in them. Mm-hmm. Or the pilots, depending on... Or that. But you also just wouldn't have these problems if you didn't have the robots with that software in them. Yeah, if they were just the mechanical, like, old school, like the guys were talking about in the production plant, where back before they had all the software, it was just, like, a machine that you used to do stuff versus now they've got, like, a fifth-generation software that... Yeah, and Janice, you know, I like technology things i like buying toys to play with Mm -hmm. i don't see the point (laughs) in having something like a ginormous robot (laughs) well the robot club said you know it's about being something that's cool (laughs) you get to feel like you're like piloting a little guy a big guy go learn to fly a plane i (laughs) don't know what to tell you but (laughs) that exists that's an option Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah go go learn to pilot some planes 
what if they're robots like in Promare, where there's not all the little controls, you're just like kind of in a cockpit and doing insane stuff? That didn't really feel like a robot as much as it felt like a suit. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. But they still need someone to pilot them in this movie. But in Promare, it was very much branded as a suit, not Mm -hmm. a robot, right? Yeah. I'm not, kind of. I'm not going crazy because like the one who was designing everything was like, I got you a new suit, right? Or am I making that up? I don't know about that part, but I do think that like from a control standpoint, it definitely is more like a suit. It was like used for protection, not destruction. Yeah. And well, I mean, true on the side of Leo and Gallo, totally it's for protection and stuff. And even though they're both in the cockpit, they're like kind of like quote unquote piloting it together. But foresight suit is definitely for destruction and i guess like terraforming well yes but as far as like fighting fires goes and you know it's like they're using the tech for that purpose not for other reasons this is why people like firefighters more janice this is why people like firefighters more and then the police in Brummer didn't even have suits they had they had big tanks that hurt people (laughs) again unnecessary anyway Yeah, so that's that's really an interesting point. Of the mechs from Promare and of the mechs from Pat Labor, which do you think or were more in line with what happened with the keep your hands off Azok and Robot? Or like was it some of both? Maybe more Pat Labor, just because, you know, they're going through and one of them is like, Can you hurry up? <laughs> you know? And <laughs> the whole, you know, it needs to be able to go faster thing in the episode. I think that kind of played off well when they were like talking together and designing it and they're talking about the practicality of where to put the like entry hatch so that people don't get hurt or like those kind of things i felt like they really made that equivalent when they were doing the robots for pat labor for sure there's a bit from the episode that i really liked where um Kanamori, so all the girls are in the cockpit together, right? And Kanamori's like, are these switches actually helpful? Like, do we need to have all these controls inside here? And Mizusaki's like, yeah, it shows that the people making the robot anime ultimately put their faith in people. And I think that in both of those movies, that is shown in different ways. Because in Pat Labor, like, Noah ends up saving her friend from the one robot by, like, Mm -hmm. shooting it in the back of the head with the gun, like completely manually versus like how you're describing the suit feeling of the Promare ones. It's not about the robot. It's about the people inside it Mm -hmm. and what they're doing to, yeah. I really like that suit kind of comparison idea that you brought up. Also at some point, Mizusaki asks if they could cover the joints uh, so that it would be easier to animate. And the, the Pat Labor robots definitely have like some sort of material between all the little like metal parts so that you don't have to see all the little arms and bits and i was like ah ah they did it they probably had to in the 80s yeah they definitely had to in the 80s i didn't realize how old this was when you put it in the spreadsheet for me to watch it and then i put in the dvd and i was like this is so small on the screen (laughs) and then i realized (laughs) i was like did i do something weird to the blu-ray player (laughs) yeah uh nope that's just what it looks like I had it on Blu-ray, so I have, like, the fancy updated version of it. But, yeah, it's old. It's old. Yeah. It kind of shows. Yeah. I like that I had to mail you a DVD for this one. <laughs> that's that's how old it is, is that it's not streaming. We had to do this this way. Yeah. Sorry. 
some good to me, okay to you pieces. I love this movie. I don't think I had a chance to say that, but I think that's fine. I think it just was not the movie for me. It was definitely mm-hmm. a change of pace after you attempted to destroy me <laughs> with the last few. Yeah. Yeah. Let you build you back up. It didn't work, but I think you probably knew it wasn't going to work because I'm weird. I wasn't sure. I was like 50-50 on if you would like it or not because you surprised me when you liked Nausicaa. And so I was like, well, maybe there is a chance for this. Why did you think I wouldn't like that one? I only know for a fact that you like horror things and superhero things. And Nausicaa is definitely like a much chiller, more laid back Thing by comparison like it's got action and stuff but it's but it was kind of like zelda i didn't know you like zelda oh okay <laughs> i've learned that just now for the first time i'm bad at zelda but it's fun okay that's good to know cool put that in the little file folder <laughs> that being said i don't know if you're gonna like the thing that we're gonna watch next time yeah so obviously i'm going to continue loving keep your hands off face alkin because Mm-hmm. I enjoy being attacked personally by media, apparently. This is a thing. It's a theme. And this next one is called Let's Do Better Than Last Time. So there's nothing in there that can attack you. <laughs> I'm going to be so attacked at this one. <laughs> Just the title. Just the title. <laughs> Just the title. And we are going to watch The Wind Rises. Yeah. So your homework for The Wind Rises, as you and our five viewers watch it, is to pay attention to the sound effects in both it and in Keep Your Hands Off, Azoken, there's two kinds of sound effects. I like sound effects. Okay, perfect. There's two kinds of sound effects. Uh, there are vocal ones that people make just like with the, their mouths and a microphone. And then there are sound effects that are definitely like way more Foley based. So notice them. Notice them, Deanna. Okay. Me notice audio? I have no idea why you would expect that. Yeah. You'll have a lot of fun. And you won't regret it, probably. In the Guide to Geekdom is a spinoff of Welcome to Geekdom by our host, Deanna Chapman. Check out her YouTube channel for more opinions on general geekery. Our intro and outro music is by Associations. Do yourself a favor and go to associations.bandcamp.com to listen to more of their stuff. For a multimedia experience with links and images, follow us on Twitter at geek underscore guidance.